Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Don't Tell Me The Score, the podcast that uses sport to explore life's bigger questions. My name is Simon Mundy, and each week I sit down with an expert from the biggest sporting names in the world to Buddhist monks, neuroscientists, psychologists, and philosophers. We discuss a theme that tells us something insightful and important about life and how best to live it, from the importance of self-acceptance to facing addiction and developing resilience, right through to getting your circadian rhythms in sync and how to sleep better. Sport is a metaphor for life, and in this podcast, I aim to prove that right. I always like hearing from you, so the best way to get in touch is via my website, simonmundy.com, or I'm at Simon Mundy on social media. In this episode, I'm talking to former scientist turned author David Hamilton about kindness. Hi, David. Oh, hi, Simon. How are you doing today? I'm okay. How are you? I'm excellent. Yeah, thank you. How's the weather up in Dunblane? Uh, it's actually the sun shining. The ground's a wee bit damp, which is uh, not ideal. I've got a tennis match uh, to play <laughs> later, later today, but it's sunny, which is nice. You do live in Dunblane, Scotland's tennis mecca. Obviously, Dunblane is completely associated with the Murrays. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there's a really fantastic tennis community here. It's a big club. There's loads of people. There's lots and lots of kids that play in Dunblane. Andy Murray dropped in actually about a month ago or so, and he he just came along. He saw some. He was going up to his grands, and he saw some kids uh, getting some coaching from the head coach, Mark Walker. Here and he, he popped down and he, he offered the services and he basically hit with every single kid for a couple of hours. It was such a lovely thing to do and you know a great memory for all the kids. He's a great guy, Andy, and I think really? 
He's obviously achieved some stunning things to become the first uh, British men's winner of Wimbledon in 77 years. But one thing I think is really amazing is specific to Dunblane insofar as how he changed perhaps the self-perception of the town. Because obviously Dunblane was where one of the worst atrocities in in British history happened in in the mid-90s. And through Andy and Jamie and Judy and what they've achieved, it's now completely associated with tennis, with positivity. I mean, it's from that point of view, it's a remarkable thing what they've done for Dunblane, isn't it? It, it really is. There's a really there's a great positive spirit certainly in the in the tennis club. That, that's my main experience. It really has, I guess, the Murrays and, and the work that Judy's doing as well. It's put something different in in the minds of people that don't, this is what Dublin is. It's a it's a fantastic tennis thing now. Yeah, it's a really magical change from from what might have been in terms of the identity of the town. Now, David, you're a prolific. How many books now? I know you're a prolific author. Is it seven? Uh, ten. 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 I'm writing my 11th right now. Crikey, Riley. And you have a a PhD in organic chemistry. You like talking about all sorts of things. We're going to focus on the kindness and the mind-body connection. But you also, you do have a a sporting background as well yourself. You were a sports coach for the famous Sale Harriers. Yeah, yeah. When I, I worked as a scientist in Cheshire in uh, Macclesfield, a company called AstraZeneca. And so while I was there, in the evenings, I was the, a coach, a long jump, triple jump coach. And because I, I became a long jumper by accident. And I was a manager of the junior men's team uh, for about three years. Were you a naturally gifted long jumper? Were you surprised at your ability to leap into sand? <laughs> I, I wasn't. I wouldn't say I was naturally gifted. I was never in the, in the echelons of, of the greats. Although I... I did get to the final of the Scottish Championships in 1996 when it was being used as a qualifying event, I believe, for the Atlanta Olympics. A lot of the top Brits were there, and well, I, did get, I did get to the final, which was my, you know, my, my claim to fame. I, I was, I was eighth out of eight. Do you know, Simon? I only became a long jumper by accident because I, it was always my dream to be a hundred meter sprinter. But I had only done some sprints in Scotland, and I, I competed in the Scottish universities events, and I, I wasn't really that good to be really honest with you and I thought I'm going to really take this up seriously and I tried to get into sale harriers and very very clear that you know I by with no chance whatsoever uh, I was like a second behind some of these these people uh, these <laughs> what, what time were you clocking David you know low 11s 11 that's still I think quick that's still quick uh, that was at my absolute best, you know, mid to low 11s. Uh, I think in a relay I did 10 point something once, but you get a rolling start in a relay. But, but I accidentally became a long jumper because I was down at the – after really realising that I hadn't got into the club because they didn't get back to me uh, after I did a little sprint tryout, I was doing some long jumping because I used to love long jump. I kept my friends and I used to make a long jump pit when I was a, a teenager and we used to go and get sand from the local brickwork and dig a big pit, and literally we'd play the Olympics. And I used to always win the long jump. I, my mum always loved to jump, and she used to have these stories of, be, of doing high jump in the county sports. So jumping was something I just loved the idea of, and I'd never really tried it that much. So, so I decided to muck about in the long jump pit, and I was doing these jumps, and the chairman of the club, he said, how, how far are you jumping? 
I said, I have no idea. And he got out and measured it. He said, would you like to jump for us? And literally within a few weeks, I was competing for Sail Harriers uh, as, a, as a long jumper. That's quality. And I know you coached, what, the, was it the under-20s as well? It, yeah, I, I coached the, the long jump, triple jump squad, actually, which was kid, some of the younger kids from about 14 years old up to, I think, the oldest was about 19 or so. I well, was the oldest. Cool. So that's an age when you can really impact people and yeah. people's psychology and that kind of thing. And I know, you know, two of the themes that you talk about that I find most fascinating are kindness and the effect that it can have on ourself, our health, our relationships, others, but also belief. And, and we're going to touch on on both. But just tell me, how did you apply either of those things in terms of the way you coached and, and how effective was it? Well, exactly that, Simon, because I had nothing else to give because I was so new to long jumping myself. I'd only had one season. By, by the time I became the coach and, and manager, I'd only had one season learning long jump uh, under a, a guy who was actually a throws coach. And he, he preferred to be a throws coach, but he had just became the jumps coach because there was no one else at the time to do it. And he realized that I had quite a good, friendly influence in all the, the people there. And he said to me, look, would you like to be the coach as well as, as the, the manager of the junior team? And I thought, you know, let's give it a try. So I didn't have a, a great technical experience. So all I had was a, an ability to help the kids to believe in themselves and also to be kind to them and be nice and, and help to create a really warm supporting environment where everyone encourages each other and we're all supporting and encouraging each other even when they had to compete against each other and there was, there was a really a really friendly vibe but at the end of every session I used to make sure that I'd said something personally to each athlete about how well they'd done during that coaching session. So the, the, it was always a Monday night that we did the long jump stuff. And so by the end of the, the session, which was usually seven till about nine o'clock, I made sure that all of the athletes had said something meaningful and positive. And I'd done it kindly and supportive, like really you're doing great, well done kind of thing. Because I didn't have anything else to give in terms of technical. I, I couldn't teach them to be technically great long jumpers. So I thought all I can do then is help them to believe in themselves. But what was amazing is that seemed to, have a really profound effect because we actually at the the first I think when I was manager we we won all I think most or all of the medals in the young the young athletes and in the juniors so young athletes was up to I think 16 years old then the juniors was 16 to 20 and I think we we won all of or all but one of the medals in long jump triple jump you know, some of the athletes won long and triple, same person. But I think we got most of the medals. Now, Sale was a really good club anyway. But 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 I, I can't help feeling that believe, the athletes believing in themselves because we'd seen enormous gains. I mean, we had an English schools champion in our, our squad as well. So I was seeing enormous gains in these athletes' abilities really within one season that I think came down to believing. And I think I say that from experience now that I know more scientifically about the physical effects of belief. I believe it was believing in themselves that, that caused such great performances within the squad. That's remarkable. So by focusing on and drawing attention to the things that they, they had done well, and fostering and do, a, a, a spirit of kindness, you were able to to really 
produce amazing results. I mean, and there's a clearly a there's a lesson there in for leaders of all kinds and parents and and partners and friends and about the power just of of um, yeah creating a a nice ambiance by making someone feel good about themselves and by being kind to them because we live in a world of marginal gains don't we but that simple connection element is clearly like a a, a massive performance enhancer yeah absolutely and it had a big had a big performance enhancing effect on myself as well recognizing that that because that's all i knew to do and it had so, it seeming had such a seemingly dramatic effect that it had a really powerful impact on me because it it helped me to focus on how the psychology of how a person thinks and feels and what they believe about themselves can have dramatic effects because later as i became a as i left the the, the pharmaceutical industry and became a writer and a speaker myself that basis of experience that I had had actually guided some of the things that I researched and then wrote about, about the impact of the mind on the body in particular. So let's just talk then quickly about your side hustle that you're doing at that time. So you were, so just PhD in organic chemistry, was it? I'm not a scientist. What was it? Organic chemistry. So organic chemistry is like an adult version of Lego, but instead of using Lego blocks as building blocks to to assemble a variety of shapes, organic chemists use atoms as building blocks, but the concept's exactly the same. You arrange them in a variety of shapes, and so the shapes often turn out to to be medicines. So okay. I, that's why I work in a pharmaceutical company. So you're working for you know a huge pharmaceutical company, but you decided, even though I know that you were being um, potentially fast-tracked to go right to the top of the company, you decided to take a, a leap of faith and, and leave. Um, so actually, before, before you talk about that leap of faith, because I do think that's really interesting, but you, you, something you really noticed at the company that really grabbed your attention that then informed a lot of the work that you did later was the placebo effect. So just what was it that drew you to that when you were at the company? It was fascinating. I worked mostly in cardiovascular medicine, a little bit in cancer, but mostly cardiovascular. And cardiovascular drugs often have bigger placebo effects. And I found it extraordinary, the vast numbers of people who were improving on drug trials on placebos because they just believed they were getting a drug. So I started to do a lot of literature research, diving into the medical journals and realising that there had been a wee bit of work done on the placebo effect. And I thought, why do people not know this? That it's not just a figment of people's imagination. People don't just think they're getting better. Believing something literally changes someone's brain chemistry in the direction of what they believe. So I decided, I just had this passion. I I always knew in my heart that I I wanted to teach. And I think my experience with sail harriers as well, I just loved the teaching and the helping and the guiding and the coaching and I thought, I believe this is what I want to do much more than be working at a lab bench uh, for the rest of my life. And I, I, I was, I turned, I, I ended up at a, a, a seminar. One of the exercises was really helping us to to realise what we really dream of, what we really want, and believe that we can do it. And I decided then that I'm going to leave the pharmaceutical industry and become a teacher, an educator. I'm going to write books, even though I failed my English at school, I'm still going to do it. Anyway, I'm going to write books and I'm going to coach, I'm going to teach and, and that, that's my kind of thing. But it was really the placebo effect and exploring, there, therefore realising that it was a biological basis for the mind-body connection. I think that was the, the evidence I needed to take myself forward. So 
the leap of faith that you took, was it in any way anxiety inducing or were you absolutely you know, sure that this was the right thing to do? And, and did you have it mapped out in terms of what you wanted to go on and do at that point? Or was it, literally uh, like, I know I've got to leave? Yeah, it was, I know I've got to leave. It seemed like a good idea at the time. I have to say, because of the position I had, I had to work three months notice for the company. And I was so pumped. This is my thing. I'm totally going to do this. And and I didn't really know how. I just knew that I had to do it. It was like a... It was like a, a calling. Yeah, a calling, yeah. And I knew I had... This was my thing. I had to do it. And I had to do it now. I remember waking up one morning about five in the morning, six weeks into my three-month notice period, sweating some realisation that what am I doing? I've got a great job. I'm leaving to write books. I failed my English at school. I'm leaving to write books and be a teacher. Speaking in front of people terrifies the life out of me. What am I doing? (laughs) (laughs) It was a sudden realisation that, yeah, I was all pumped up and motivated, but I hadn't really thought it through. But given that, though, I still knew in my heart, even when that bit of anxiety came, I still knew in my heart that this is what I have to do. This is my thing. This is my calling. A lot of people seem to be having thoughts along this track at the moment. You know, friends of mine have, have taken redundancy, have quit jobs, mm. you know, with lockdown thinking, oh, I don't want to be doing a two-hour commute. I'd rather spend more time with the family or, or whatever it may be. So, you know, you took a leap of faith and that didn't mean that there weren't going to be anxious feelings and doubts along the way. But clearly for you, it worked out really well. So what advice would you have for anyone having similar thoughts? That just no, no matter what happens, even if you have to take a little side, do a little side shuffle from time to time, keep focused on what what your your dream actually is, because you'll find it be it'll be like a beacon. You know, imagine you're you're trying to you've got a, a small canoe and you're trying to pass over a big expanse of water and you try to reach a particular part from time to time there'll be waves and wind and other boats getting on your way that'll nudge you and you might have to do a little shuffle to the left or to the right but the key is to keep focus keep reminding yourself that bit over there is where I want to get to Uh, and I found that no matter what happened and what challenging situations arose and even when I, I I took a side shuffle I, I set up and ran a charity for a few years with some friends I took a job as a college lecturer and university tutor in chemistry but I never lost sight of the fact that I was going to write books and I was going to teach all about the mind-body connection all about kindness and, and the spirit of kindness and compassion how it works and how it can change the world etc that I never lost sight of it, even though at times I had to take, I had to go left for a little while and I had to go right for a little while necessarily, but I never lost sight of where I wanted to get to. So there was almost like there was a background push. No matter where I went, there was always a nudge. No matter, even if I went left, the nudge was still pushing me forwards because I never lost sight of where I wanted to get to. Do you think then that, because a lot of people I think feel that they would be reluctant to leave somewhere if they don't have it all exactly worked out, have an exact plan, but a leap of faith implies that you don't need to have that. If you have the intuition and and a, a vague vision or, or a, a, rough, a rough image of where you want to go, that's enough. Do you yeah, agree with that? See, I, I definitely. I think a leap of faith is accompanied with a belief that no matter what, I'll handle it. No matter what happens, I will find a way. I don't need to know the way. You know, 
and you know, in terms of confidence and self-esteem, I think I had little confidence really when I made my leap of faith. But you find that rather than having all the confidence and having everything worked out first, I kind of knew that along the way, rather than knowing the answers first, the answers usually come in the process of doing the thing. I mean, great things, I think, are achieved in life, not because someone had it all figured out before, but because they figured it out on the way. And I find the greatest gains in self-esteem and the greatest gains in confidence usually become, usually uh, come in the process of doing the thing and but and we have it all back to front we think i have to have the confidence first and i have to have the self-esteem and i have to have the plan and it all worked out first and by doing that we actually prevent ourselves from moving forward in life and, and so what happens if you flip it around and trust in yourself that the confidence the self-esteem the plan and the the know-how usually in life by you know from personal experience ever since you've been a kid that you usually find a way when challenges occur. And so that I, I kind of flipped it around and, and trusted that the confidence that I was lacking, the self-esteem that I was lacking and the plan and the know-how that I was lacking would probably come in the process of doing the very thing that I thought I needed to have those things to do. What you're sort of saying is, is that have that faith and the belief, if I think of it in sport terms, is that you, know, you get better in sport when you go through challenges, when you go through difficult matches, when you play difficult opponents, it's like, okay, yes, it's going to be tough. Yes, it's going to be challenging. Like you, there will be self-doubts, but this is where growth happens. Yeah, absolutely. If, if I look back on, on my path, my trajectory over the last several years, then absolutely, I, I learned so much in the process of having challenges, of not really knowing what to do, of saying, you know what, I'm literally going to have, I'm terrified here i really don't think i can do this i'm just going to have to do it because damn it otherwise we can't pay the mortgage and i found myself stretching out of my comfort zone a number of times but i look back and i think my goodness i'm so glad i did that because that has actually made possible x y and z that's come after it and so you find yourself when you get the challenges you don't need to have it all figured out first that you will figure it out on the way and that's if i look back on what I've been doing, that's been my story for for myself, is figuring it out, you know, winging it. I, yeah, I wing it all the time. And it's funny because people perceive you from the outside and they think, my God, you've really got it figured out. You know, you've really got all the answers. Absolutely not. I'm winging it almost in my head. I'm winging it all the time because most of the time I really don't know what I'm doing. But I think if we're really honest, I think most people in life – probably feel the same. It's like imposter syndrome, isn't it? Yeah. But most people are winging it. So, you know, cut ourselves a wee bit of slack and, and say, well, yeah, let's wing it together. Or if I'm winging it, I know that I usually, I've winged it this far. I will figure it out. Yeah. So sort of back yourself. And I tend to think that it's thoughts of future that we can't deal with. But when things arrive in the present, we tend to be able to respond accordingly. Like yeah. everyone looks back on their life. I know this is true of me. There have been many times I've been fearful or thought that it'd be an absolute disaster. But actually, how many times have there actually been 
a really, really consequential disaster happen? Well, none spring to mind, yet my mm. mind has, or the mind is able to convince yourself that, that that will happen in future. So it's like you say, back in yourself that, that when the moment comes, you will be able to deal with it. Yeah. You know, that, that, that actually, that reminds me, the, a book I read years ago, I think it's a very famous book, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, mm-hmm. by Susan Jeffers. I think that was one of her central things, like trust yourself that no matter what, I'll handle it. And and that was her strategy to get around that almost paralyzing fear that prevents us taking these leaps of faith or or even it doesn't not even like a big leap of faith, even just moving towards something we'd really love to accomplish in our lives, whatever that is for each of us individually. Uh, And sometimes just getting around that fear can be the simple phrase in your head, no matter what, I'll handle it. Because if I look back in the story of my life, I always have handled, I know friends and family members that have come through extraordinary challenges, but they handled it, you know. And, And so I think each of us are capable of handling it far more than we would think, far more than the mind uh, would would allow us to believe a lot of the time when the mind is convincing us that it's going to be a disaster. Buying into the stories of the mind is uh, can, can be a risky thing. And actually, you just reminded me of a, a chap I interviewed for, for my book who said that, yeah, we can handle anything, you know, including death, that even that we'll be able to deal with. And on that note, let, let's move on to onto something that is very uh, uh, good for your health. And this is something that you talk about a lot. And I think it's you've got a, a brilliant book all about kindness and the benefits that it has for you and for, for other people and and how it ripples out into the world. And I just think this is so salient at this time. And um, I was watching um, an interview where someone was talking about kindness and they were sort of talking about how – Kindness is really needed right now because we're in this really difficult position. And to a certain degree, that's that's true. However, my view also is, though, that we perceive that to be true. If you watch the news, then obviously, you know, the news naturally gravitates towards towards negative things. And if you go on social media, that naturally, particularly uh, one platform, uh, gravitates towards critical or judgmental or tribal things. But if we go out into our community, into the street near us, that isn't the reality we experience. And people are a lot kinder than actually perhaps we perceive them to be. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, that's where you tend to see kindness most uh, is in your community. You know, I never, I think when all the lockdown happened first, I was so in awe really of of the acts of kindness, not just in my community, but I was hearing them in a, about everyone else's community. And I, I think, you know, people are, we are genetic, you know, we're genetically wired to be kind. I mean, situations press our buttons, but the kindness gene, as I call it, uh, it is one of the oldest in the human genome. It's about 500 million years old and four days. I'm only joking with the four days. <laughs> you know, it's about 500 million years old. And what that means is we are actually, it's our nature to be kind. Yes, we can be selfish at times. Yes, we can be stressed at times. But we have this deep nature to care for each other. And you, and sometimes when extraordinary situations occur, you actually see the human nature 
uh, coming out. We literally are wired. And what's amazing is it's almost like nature rewards us because there's a ton of really physiologically beneficial and psychologically beneficial effects that occur when you be kind in whatever form that kindness takes. Let's get into it then. So in your book, The Five Side Effects of Kindness, highly recommended, by the way, absolutely loved it. The first one you talk about is feeling happier. And this is something we intuitively know. And you talk about various things, including, for example, how kindness used to be prescribed uh, as an antidepressant back in the day. It literally changes the brain and then you talk about the uh, a particular study that that focused on the the benefits that people felt from being forced or being instructed to carry out five acts of kindness yeah yeah so you know we typically hear that you're supposed to eat five portions of fruit and vegetables a day so i think this might have been part of the influence for five acts of kindness a day uh, or, or five acts of kindness on one particular day of the week that they were asked to do over a period of, of 10 weeks. And they found that the people compared with a control group who were just doing normal things, they found that the people who were doing the five acts of kindness had actually experienced a net gain in happiness. And, and that type of study has been done in a number of different ways. And almost all of the studies on kindness that measure the impact on psychology, almost all of them looking at happiness have shown that kindness literally produces a net gain in happiness. So therefore, people who are feeling a bit blue go out and yeah. do something kind. Uh, absolutely. It, it, it's been shown to be an antidote to mild to moderate depression. You know, in a, in a sense, what kindness does it, well, it fiddles around with brain chemistry for, for a start. But one of the things that it does is it, it takes us out of ourselves. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've suffered depression at one point in my life, and I know how horrible that is. But in the, And so what happens is you're so acutely aware of how you feel. But in the moment of helping another person, your attention on your own pain becomes temporarily suspended and your attention moves to the needs and the well-being of this other person here or even an animal, for example. And as your attention moves to the needs of that person, it takes it out of yourself. And, and so consistency in acts of kindness make that more of a habit. And, and so that seems to be one of the reasons why Kindness can help people with mild to moderate depression. It can be like an antidote almost to, to depression for some people. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And in terms of the type of thing that qualifies as an act of, of kindness, it doesn't have to be something big and grand or a grand gesture, does it? No, not, not at all. In fact, many people, when I write about kindness and speak about it or, or talking about it, many people assume I've got to do something noticeable, something that, that really is like, like your grand gesture. But in actual fact, it's the large amount of small things that matter more because these are the things that you do more often because in any one day, you'll find that there's a large amount of small opportunities. There might just be one opportunity for a grander gesture every now and then. But in every day, there's numerous opportunities for even small things like being polite, being friendly, saying thank you, holding a door for someone, lifting a pen for someone, you know, the tiny, making a cup of tea, just being a nice person. There's numerous opportunities. And so what happens is you're actually biologically accumulating physical effects of kindness. It's more, therefore, not about the things that you do, but the attitude that you have. You know, it's not. It's about how you're feeling that matters. And um, kindness is a, a, a has a big relation to oxytocin, which um, I'm interested to hear you talk about. And and I've re- touched on this actually in the book I'm I'm currently writing. Mm. And a simple thing to do then is is just those little things. So like opening the door for someone, connecting with someone who is serving behind uh, a cashier's desk, absolutely, or, or a really easy one, I think. And I it'd be great if more people did this is when driving just to let people out. Yeah, in fact, you know, it's funny. I was just chatting about this with my partner yesterday that I love doing that. I love getting in the car because I know that I'm going to have numerous opportunities to spread a little cheer and smiles. Every time there's an opportunity to let someone ahead, I let them ahead, I give them a little wave. If someone, where I live in Dunblane, some of the roads are a bit narrow. And if I see someone wanting to come you know, towards me, rather than me pulling out, even if I have right away, sometimes I'll, I'll wave them on. And as the person passes, it's a nice little exchange. That person waves, I wave, and there's a lovely little exchange, a lovely little moment, rather than me pounding through, feeling stressed, feeling in a hurry, and, and then you don't, you just blank the person because they're thinking, you, you you could easily have let me out here. It's numerous opportunities every day to spread a little bit of positive interaction facilitated by kindness. Yeah, and those moments of connection, however brief, uh, with someone you're almost likely never to see again, they're incredibly special, aren't they? And they have health benefits. Absolutely. And here's here's the beauty of it. This is what I absolutely love. Now, I call oxytocin the kindness hormone. And the reason why I do that, obviously, because it's associated with how kindness feels. But here's the thing. If you think of the parallel, physiologically speaking, kindness is the opposite of stress. And I say physiologically speaking, what I mean by that, the opposite of stress, is we we call we talk about stress so often. But if you actually think about what it is, it's the feeling that you have. It's the feelings of stress that produce the physical effects in the body. 
But in other words, what's happening is you know, two people can be in the same situation. One person could feel stressed. One person might not feel stressed. The person who's feeling stressed, the feeling produces stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol, and they lead to physiological effects. And, you know, we get the raises in blood pressure, et cetera, et cetera, that we all know about the physical effects of stress, but it's because of how stress feels. So let's draw a parallel. When you be kind, even if it's just that little wave, that little in momentary interaction, it's how that feels that produces not stress hormones because you're not feeling stressed. You produce the kindness hormone. And what's amazing is if you actually look at what that does in the body, it has dramatic effects. For a start, it helps to reduce blood pressure. St feeling stressed because it produces stress hormones increases blood pressure, yet kindness hormones have the opposite effect. They actually, kindness hormones, oxytocin actually releases the tension on the walls of the blood vessels and it produces a little substance called nitric oxide. That's for those listeners who are more interested in the science. Uh, and that releases a tension in the blood vessels and it causes a reduction in blood pressure. So the kindness hormone is actually known as cardioprotective meaning it protects your cardiovascular system. So any way of producing the kindness hormone, therefore, is cardioprotective. Just like any way of producing the stress hormone is detrimental over if we keep doing it over and over again. So by being kind and even having this momentary exchange, because of how that feels, we produce the kindness hormone and therefore we get some of the cardiovascular. And there's many, there's effects on the immune system. There's effects on he, the healing process. There's numerous different effects of the kindness hormone. But you produce it because of how kindness feels, even with a tiny little act of kindness. And as well, it has, so it has real powerful benefits on the heart as well, doesn't it? And I think it's interesting when you talk of connection and kindness you intuitively associate those kind of things with coming from the heart and yeah. interestingly the benefits from doing these acts and and the the hormone that comes with it actually have a direct positive healthy impact on the heart itself absolutely because you're increasing blood volume to the heart and you're getting rid of uh, some of the the kindness hormone has a countering effect on inflammation and it has a countering effect on something called oxidative stress both of which things uh, can, eventually can lead to heart disease so the kindness hormone has a countering effect on these things so ultimately what you're doing is you you're actually by coming from the heart as we talk about in our everyday language meaning emotionally or spiritually, you really are having a physical beneficial impact on your heart. It's incredible. I, I, it's like when I was a kid growing up, my mum used to always say, if you live from the heart, it's good for the heart. And I think that was just a thing that people said. But I love that we've actually got, you know, physical evidence for that kind of thing now. Yeah, language like that is really interesting, isn't it? Another one that <coughs> popped in my head is when we talk about someone being cold-hearted. And, and that mm. sort of implies that they're not hugely kind. And actually, physiologically, that there's a truth to that as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, you know, just on, on a, that and a kind of side note, when you mentioned the heart before, I forget, that there's a statistic that the chances of a second heart attack within one year in someone who's had one already, the chances of a second within a year if they have a dog is 400% less. And, and scientists assumed that it was always just about the exercise, but front page on one of the, the highest ranked scientific journals in the world, a journal called Science, uh, a few years ago, front page picture of a dog. And it was a study when scientists 
uh, measured levels of the kindness hormone as people interacted with a dog for 30 minutes and levels of the kindness hormone increased at a rate of about 10% per minute with positive warm, compassionate, playful contact with, with the dog. And that applies not just to dogs, but to human beings as well. And that so it isn't just the exercise. Of course, exercise is a massive contributor to that statistic, but it's also the kind, the love and the kindness and the compassion and the playful and warm interaction. And you find the same thing with humans. One of my favourite studies for the title alone is Marital Conflict Relations and Coronary Artery Calcification. That's a great name. Or, or CAC for short. <laughs> and basically scientists had videotaped couples interacting with each other for half an hour and they found that when there was high levels of hostility and aggression, there was also high levels of you know, hardening of the arteries. But when people were dom- predominantly compassionate and kind and loving and affectionate, there was very low levels of the hardening of the arteries. And what and what ultimately is happening is there is a protective effect through kindness and love and compassion and affection and emotional warmth, mostly facilitated by the kindness hormone. So we talk about exercise and diet and getting outside and getting some vitamin D and all these different kind of things. But added into that list of of must-dos in terms of benefiting your health is being kind. Absolutely. And it's funny because I think that idea is is not quite mainstream yet, but it, it needs to be because it, it really is a vital ingredient because we've known about the opposite for a long time. You do all these healthy things, but you're under chronic amounts of stress or you're, you know, a large correlation between hostility and aggression and cardiovascular disease. So we know that we can negate the benefits of exercise and good diet and good living. We can negate it through attitude and stress. So it's common sense if you think about it, if we do the opposite, physiologically speaking, which is kindness, we're not just, we're not going to negate it. We're actually going to amplify the effects. So if you really think about it, it's really obvious. I just love that the scientific evidence is, is actually there if, if people want to run with it, uh, so to speak. And the implications, I think, then of, of something like social media, because like I said, one particular platform, you know, it does tend to gravitate towards this you know, really polarizing, critical uh, posts that people put on. But actually, if, so if what you're saying is if you're one of these people that spends a lot of time posting in in a kind of aggressive or confrontational way, long term speaking, that's not good for your health. No, it's not good for your health and it's neither is it good for the health of all the people who who read it and believe it and take it on board and it, it begins to affect how they feel and how they then feel, how they then behave because what you find is emotions are contagious. And they're contagious, not just face-to-face. There is a mechanism in the brain through things called mirror neurons where emotions literally are contagious like the cold uh, on a face-to-face basis. But they're also contagious through social media in the sense that we pour an angry feeling or a kind and compassionate feeling onto the page. And then people feel that through their interpretation of what we've said. And therefore, how you feel is now jumped onto a thousand, ten thousand people who've read and digested and taken on board into their nervous system the anger or the frustration that you felt in that moment. And so what I do in social media is the exact opposite. I literally, as often as I can, is I, I write and I do little videos about kindness, lighthearted things, but mostly around kindness and compassion because I know 
that the feelings are contagious. And it's, it's not just about telling everyone the science behind kindness. Part of the reason I'm doing it is because I'm trying to promote that contagiousness of how it, the nice feelings that you get. And it affects how your health, but it'll also therefore there'll be a ripple effect from how it makes you feel and how you then carry out the rest of your day. And so I, I do that, you know, intent with, let's say intentionally, with full awareness of the impact of my posts, knowing that there's a negative impact of negative posts, I intentionally post positive content all the time. And you mentioned the ripple effect there, and, and I know you've talked about kindness having three steps, I think you, you touched yeah, on yeah. that. And then, but also as well, you, you talked about mirror neurons, I think you said, and, and in terms of just being able to watch kindness, seeing someone else carry out an act of kindness, even that has positive health benefits. It really does, Simon. Just watching someone, whether it's a video on social media or whether it's a, a, a clip or, or one part of a movie or a TV show or whether it's you, literally in real life you see someone just being friendly, just being nice, just being kind. And, and what it does, it impacts your own brain, mirror neurons in the brain. But secondly, what it does is it affects how you feel. And what's what makes kindness contagious isn't so much the physical things that you see, it's how it makes you feel. And so scientists have actually charted why is kindness contagious? And mostly it's because of how it feels. Think about it. Someone does something kind for you and you act, you feel grateful or you feel, you know, warm. You Maybe if it's a face-to-face thing, you feel like in a sense of warmth and connection, but you now feel psychologists, there's a social scientist called Jonathan Haidt who coined this term elevation. You feel elevated. And in that elevated state, which might be just feeling nice or it might feel maybe a feeling of warmth or connection or happiness or joy, but whatever elevation is for you, the chances are you will be kind or kinder to people throughout the course of the rest of the day or at least over the course of the, the, the next couple of hours for no reason other than how you feel because of how that act of kindness made you feel. And that's why kindness is contagious. And scientists at Harvard and Yale actually measured the ripple effect out to three social steps in technical language. They call it three degrees of separation, meaning three steps separate from you. What I mean by that is if you do something kind for someone, because of how that makes them feel, If you were to follow that person around for the rest of the day, which I hope you don't, but if you did, then what you would see is that person will be kind or kinder to someone else because of how you made them feel. So that person's one social step away from you, one degree of separation. But that person, because of how that person feels, will be kind or kinder to someone else. And that's now two social steps away from you or two degrees of separation in technical language. But that person will be kind or kinder to someone else was now at three degrees of separation or three social steps. Now, when I say what someone else, that would be assuming the R number for kindness is one. But the R number for kindness, we know R number from coronavirus, you know, at its peak, it was 2.5 or something, uh, whereas it kind of hovers around about one. And what that really means is, you know, if the R number was 2.5, for example, I think when it was coronavirus had really first hit back in March, then it means that one person will infect 2.5 people. And that's at one social step. But at 
two degrees of separation or two social steps, each of those 2.5 will infect another 2.5. And then at three social steps, each of those will affect 2.5. So at three steps away or three degrees of separation, you actually have, what, 15.625? So about 16 people being impacted from one person. That's with an R number of 2.5. The R number of kindness seems to be somewhere between four and five. There was a study at Harvard and Yale that did a business simulation to demonstrate that kind of thing. And another research suggests it's around about four to five, depending on culture, depending on where you are, situations, etc. But on average, so let's say it was five. So that means, Simon, if you did an act of kindness for someone, then the chances are that person will not be kind to one person. They will be kind or kinder to five people over the course of the rest of the day because of how you made them feel. That's at one social step. But each of those five people will be kind or kinder, even if it's just a friendly smile, just being a nicer person to a further five people. That's at two social steps. But each of those now 25 people will be kind or kinder to five further people at three social steps. Now, what's five times five times five is 125. So what you find from an R number of five, rather than just affect coronavirus at its peak was affecting 16 at three social steps, kindness affects 125. That's the real power of exponential. So in other words, the most contagious thing I've ever heard about in terms of my reading of the scientific literature, the most contagious thing I've ever found in science is kindness. That's absolutely beautiful, I think. I love that. That is that's seriously compelling, isn't it? I mean, everyone's terrified of the R number of coronavirus when it goes above one. But to think about kindness as, as having an R number of five, that really does illustrate just how powerful it is. Well worth getting out there and doing something kind for someone else. And the thing that, that I'd like to ask you, though, is everyone knows someone who is, should we say, a bit of a self-sacrificer or someone who you know puts others before themselves and that obviously can have issues as well and so perhaps they don't have difficulty doing kind things for other people in fact they overstretch themselves yeah. so how, how how would you advise someone to turn the kindness back towards themselves how to improve self-kindness yeah, well, we'll see. We we can overstretch us. I mean, so, some people do naturally put other people first, and it doesn't have any detrimental effects. It's part of who they are. They just really love. My my mum is like that. My mum always puts the family first, and so there's nothing wrong with doing that. You know, in fact, there's everything right about doing that. But what can happen is we put people first so much that it begins to have health consequences initially usually for our mental health and the research that shows even volunteering over a certain number of hours per week it stops feeling like something you're choosing to do to help people and you start getting caught with the stresses of the job and so it's not about being kind to yourself instead of others it's just a little shift in the mind let's be kind to myself as well as others. It's not about either or or who comes first. It's just, let's be kind to myself as well as others. And that can be, the the, the first thing to do is just notice when you need to do that. It's just awareness of it. I think I need a rest, for example. And so it's about saying, given the fact that being kind to myself as well as others is crucial for my mental health. And if I'm not able to manage myself and look after myself, I won't be able 
to help all these people that I'm trying to help. So I have to be kind to myself. It's about saying, what can I do to service that need? And maybe my need is just I need a little bit, a bit of time to myself. Maybe I just need to treat myself, to spoil myself. Maybe I just need a day off. Maybe, you know what I do? I, I get busy so often. And I noticed a while ago that even when I'm really busy, if someone needs my time, whether it's a family member, a friend or someone else, I always manage to find the time. And I'll look at my diary and I'll manage to fiddle around and squeeze a wee hour in or something. So I decided one of the ways I would practice kindness for myself is I would go to my diary and I would decide that being kind to myself at times is as important as doing all these other things. In fact, it's more important than doing my job. My mental health is more important than doing my physical job. Otherwise, if I don't have my mental health, I can't do my job. So I go to my diary and I put in meeting with self and I actually block out a one or a two hour meeting and I call it meeting with self and I'm giving it the same, therefore, gravitas as an importance as a meeting with someone else. And so what I do with that meeting with self is I do anything I want. I might just go for a walk. I might just listen to music. I might go and lie on top of my bed and read a book. I might, you know, go and have a coffee in a coffee shop somewhere, or I might do, you know, anything at all. But it's my time. I'm, And basically what I'm saying is everyone has something everyone has a particular way that's meaningful to them that that shows that you're being kind to yourself so so what to do is find what is meaningful to you what would give what would be a bigger a big demonstration of i'm doing this because i deserve kindness as well and so what for you particularly uh, fits that bill mm. so carving out time for yourself really important so and if someone wanted to encroach on that time or wanted that time, it'd be important then to say no. So part of, you know, self-kindness in that, in that, um, in that way is to, is to set boundaries and as well, sometimes to, to say no. Yeah. And, you know, depending on your personality, it doesn't have to be a, a hard no. It can be a not now, maybe later, or it can be sometimes a boundary can, has to be absolutely no. You know, definitely no. That an act of kindness, literally to yourself, literally can be a definite boundary. But I know that a lot of people that are really genuinely, naturally kind and compassionate people, they don't like that kind of boundary. So what you can say is, maybe later, maybe at another time, or or just not yet. And and what you're doing is you're honouring. I need to put myself first in this instance. I need to I need to value my own mental health right now. Even though I'm normally a kind person, I'm normally, I'll do all these things, but right now I need to value my own mental health. So therefore I have to say no. You don't have to say all those words to the person, but certainly that's your sentiment. Either a hard no or a maybe later or a not yet kind of thing. That's how I do it. Yeah. And, and a key part clearly of, of self-kindness is is the way we talk to ourselves. Um, and Chrissy Wellington, who's arguably the greatest or certainly one of the greatest triathlete, Ironman competitors of all time, she sort of mm-hmm. spoke about how it's very common for people or we wouldn't dream of speaking to others how we can sometimes speak to ourselves. And that seems to be a, a really common thing. And in fact, someone said to me this, I think it was um, the Dalai Lama came over to to the west and was just so surprised at the way people spoke to themselves so what just quickly what advice would you have then in terms of 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 speaking to yourself and and being kinder to yourself in that way you know 
some of it comes down to just just awareness. Just deciding to be aware, I'm going to notice how I speak to myself, you know, verbally, but also in my own head. And and once you notice it, that's the, the first way, the first way that you're able to deal with it is to notice what you're actually saying to yourself. And then just when you notice it, you can take a breath. And what taking a, a breath does, it, it gives you a pause for a moment, but it also fertilizes the frontal part of the brain, which gives you more ability to concentrate and think. And then just say, that's not really fair on myself. Is there something else I can say here? And that's a simple in the moment little tool. Is there something else I can say to myself? I deserve to be compassionate to my, I deserve people's compassion. Therefore, I deserve my own compassion as well. Mm. Now, David, I know I'm going to have to let you go because you've got a, a tennis match uh, set up and, and there's no way I stand between a, a man and a, ten, a tennis racket and a, and a tennis match. I do want to ask you one, one question, actually, that um, I wanted to ask you a little bit earlier. And, and this was just about, um, again, sort of outward kindness, if you like. And you, you talk about how it tones the vagus nerve. Now, I, I was just wondering if you can explain wh- what is the vagus nerve and why is that important? Bit of a backtrack here, but just to finish Maybe. off with a bit on the vagus nerve. Absolutely. Well, you think of if you exercise a muscle, then you very quickly notice you gain muscle tone. So you, so one part of your nervous system can also be toned. And the vagus nerve uh, is a major part of the rest and relax component of your your autonomic nervous system. So it, what but by research shows that practicing compassion and kindness, I, I call it kindfulness. We, we talk about m- mindfulness now, being mindful, whether it's in meditation or something else. I call it kindfulness. And, and what happens is that feeling itself over eons of evolution, the feeling of care and compassion became associated with the rest and relaxed compulsion of the nervous system because we naturally feel rested and relaxed when we're caring. And so over eons of evolution, uh, what happened is the activity of that portion of the nervous system became associated with those feelings. So now when we actually feel kind and compassionate, it literally works out. It takes it to the gym the vagus nerve. And so what you get is an increase in what's called vagal tone, which is akin to muscle tone. Now, what's amazing about that is increased vagal tone has two major effects. One, it has a relaxing effect on your overall body. But the second thing it does is it has a very powerful anti-inflammatory effect. And research shows that if people increase vagal tone, and one of the ways they can do it is through practices of compassion or kindfulness, literally being caring and compassionate it literally has an anti-inflammatory effect in the body it's incredible it is incredible incredible indeed now listen uh david it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you i love your enthusiasm i love you know your kindness you are a very kind man we've touched on so much stuff you know your leap of faith and how other people can learn from that we've talked about belief about um being a good leader and getting the best out of people just by by you know accentuating the and drawing the attention to the positive things they've done and and kindness and I love this sort of mission, perhaps, statement to come from this podcast in, in terms of getting the kindness R number up. Let's get it up even further. Yeah, which I think is something absolutely. that really can resonate with people right now. But it just has been such a pleasure talking to you. And I would encourage anyone 
you know, who perhaps isn't familiar with your work to, to head, you've got drdavidhamilton.com, your website, you've got videos galore on YouTube. You've got your, like I said, you're a, a book writer straight out of the top drawer of uh, the most prolific writers out there. Uh, another one on the way. So there's so many places to, to find you. And I really would encourage people to, to get in touch. Is there, is there anything I've missed in terms of your work that you'd like to share? No, you've summed it up better than I, I could have myself. I'm not very good at, at promoting myself, if that's what you mean. I usually just leave it to other people kind of thing. Well, thanks. You know, I've really enjoyed this this chat, this conversation, Simon. So thanks very much for having me as a guest on your podcast. No, an absolute pleasure. And listen, go out there and I'm I'm confident that you'll win. But win or lose, <laughs> I'm sure you'll be kind to your opponent. And that's the Absolutely. Anyway, listen, Absolutely. David, thank you very much indeed. It's been a real pleasure and speak to you soon. Thanks, Simon. Take care. All the best. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of Don't Tell Me The Score. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation and I would, of course, be delighted to hear your thoughts, ideas and questions. Do get in touch via my website, simonmundy.com. I do really appreciate you listening and if you could leave a kind rating and review, I would be sincerely grateful. All that remains is for me to say I hope you'll join me again next time. Until then, thank you and goodbye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.